and we're back on YouTube. Hooray! For a while. For now. Uh, it's really, I mean, we're very civil people, you know. We don't say outrageous things, you know. We're right. mild-mannered. But compared to Alex Jones, you know. Right. Uh, or people like him. Um, it's weird, like, how, how we can... I mean, how many times have we, can, have we got in trouble with YouTube? Quite a few, you know, five or six at this point. Oh, yeah. um, and, okay, a lot of it was medical misinformation, that kind of stuff, spurious. Which was blanketly being applied right across all the through board, 2020. Yeah. But, but it seems very easy, you know, to, to get booted from YouTube for, or booted to have your video taken down simply for expressing an opinion. And mm. that's what you're doing. And it's, you know, dangerous opinion. Is that a, is there such a thing as da- I mean, would you agree that there's such a thing as dangerous opinions? That, that, I mean, you know, given any reach, because obviously YouTube doesn't appear to care about the reach necessarily. It's they're checking everybody regardless of their reach, and so it's not about the number of people. It's about any number of people, any more than ten, maybe. Let's say, if you can convey an opinion <laughs> to more than ten people. <laughs> Uh, it's deemed as dangerous. Oh. Uh, an opinion that YouTube doesn't agree with, or it's not even YouTube, it's like some official version of what is right and wrong. And if you disagree with that opinion and suggest something else might be true, that's dangerous. Of course, it was easy enough to understand it in the, ter- in the context of medical misinformation, that people might act on it. But there's also hate speech, is that dangerous as well? That's that's much more, much more spurious, much more vague. I mean, well, the first iterations of that were clearer. You know, where you had to have a substantive link between the words you say and the incitement of a specific person listening or reading your words to committing an, an atrocity or some or some kind of crime, some of kind any of kind crime. of crime against someone. But that was in the nineties. We're a long way from that. You're right. It's vague and spurious at this point. It's. It's so far removed, and that's actually going to be shown in today's topic. We want to talk about the trial of Alex Jones because the connection between things he's alleged to have said and things he did say as well with the damage he caused across the country and mm. over here to these people is so tenuous that it's a miracle that uh, – A miracle? Well, it, it, not anymore, Mary. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not strange anymore. It's, it's say, ast- it is astonishing that a trial was held at all. Yeah. Going by, you know, yeah. the old normal yeah, yeah. legal standards. Right. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, in, in the case of Alice Jones, it's kind of, you know, I don't know if I, don't know if I would say it's amazing that or it's shocking whatever that that a trial occurred at all but because there's all sorts of defamation trials that go on every day have have done for a long done for a long time you know um and of course the basis of defamation is that the person defamed had some kind of uh experienced some kind of uh quote-unquote injury or or some kind of uh, suffering or some kind of uh negative repercussions from the defamatory statements um, so that's fairly normal, you know, um, defamation trials. And this is effectively what this was with, with Alex Jones over the past 10 days or so. It was a 10-day trial in um, in Texas over his statements he'd made about um, Sandy Hook uh, 
at Sandy Hook, by the, the mass shooting at Sandy Hook. And parents, and these are just two of the parents that have taken, but I think they, these people have the strongest case maybe or something. I don't even know if they have the strongest case. Or maybe they're, one, they're the ones who put up enough money to, to, to for lawyers to, to follow it through. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? There, yep. there should be two dozen sets of parents. Well, well there are. There, there are others Obviously, some didn't didn't care, uh, and there are others who were willing to, uh, I suppose, willing to testify or felt that they could, uh, felt that they were that they had been harmed by the things that he said, and that they were willing to put take it kind of all the way. Whereas others are, are less inclined to do it. But there are, there are two or three other couples uh, or parents, because the ones today, the ones over the past week that were taking the case against uh, the defamation case against Jones were uh, they're not married anymore. They're, they're divorced, but mm-hmm. they're taking on behalf of their of their their, their kid who was who was killed. Um, well, on behalf of themselves, really. Um, um, so yeah, uh, defamation pretty normal that people will get some kind of a payment if some kind of a if, if, if damages were found, you know. But as we'll see, this case was. Uh, at least in, in in terms of the way the the lawyers argued for it and the way the judge was acting uh, throughout it, it was seemed to be more about censoring um, this kind of defamation, they might say, uh, or, or preventing this kind of defamation from 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 happening again or being allowed to happen. Specifically, defam- defamation in the in the context of saying stuff that uh, runs counter to official statements by. Governments really on any topic, I think. Yeah, really. <clears throat> that then that so. If we go back to your first question: What is a dangerous opinion? Mm. Well, YouTube has standards, and those standards shifted to community standards, right? Over time, if you look at our last video um, that was removed, it wasn't the recent one; it was one from last December. Mm. At the time, it was flagged automatically, so by a bot, because it had a copyright issue. There was something we played in it. In fact, it was footage from a soccer match in Europe. <laughs> which is heavily protected by marketing rights, blah, 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 where the player collapses on the field, clutching his chest. So, okay, we agreed to trim it out, and the video went back up. Well, last week, on July 31st itself, we received an email to say that after consideration, we've removed that same podcast completely. There's no, you're not getting it back on the grounds of medical misinformation, which cited the same catch-all phrase they, um, they gave to everyone back in 2020. This runs the risk of potentially countering messaging that the World Health Organization and other national health authorities are trying to, you know, convey to people. Right. So, so, so we've removed it. So who's trolling through eight-month-old videos? I know. I, 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 that's, that's, or is there uh, some algorithm? That famous algorithm. Scotty be able to tell us about algorithms. Are algor- can algorithms uh, go, go around and identify things months ago in, in, in videos like speech? Can they pick up on words? Because there's no transcript of our videos, right? So, sure, they can. Well, yeah, just through speech, even with Irish accents. Yeah, yeah. really. No, they, I mean now when you the, there was a thing that just started last week, where you know, like I have my my techie channel and I you know mm. I post videos and stuff. And starting last week, when I post the video, uh, it used to be like right away. You know, if you have fiber, you upload the video. Boom, it's up. You're done. Mm. Now uh, I upload a video, it's like, say, 11 minutes long, and I actually had to wait like 15 minutes while it scanned it very, very, very thoroughly, and it said it was for copyright. Okay. But I don't think it's for copyright. I think they've beefed up their uh, algorithm. The algorithm. I won't use the C word. No. 
for, but, for but I think they're I think they're actually like they they put something into gear where basically when you upload videos and probably also retroactively it just goes through and scans everything and if they change the, the whatever algorithm they're using if they say apply this to past videos like sure it could go through and yes, I mean so it can it can they know if you post like imagery uh, <clears throat> video clips um, <throat> spoken words printed words on the screen like they can extract all of it and like flag it you know i mean it's all automated right. but right so yeah that's not so, uh, that doesn't surprise me so but then yeah it's probably that someone videos then that get flagged by the quote-unquote algorithm or uh, then maybe reviewed by a in-person reviewer a human reviewer and uh, they decide whether or not it's uh you know the, particular, so. the particular section as well let's say a particular section in a video where you've talked about something they might have somebody, an actual person on YouTube who actually, go, or on Google, who goes, uh, checks that small section. Yeah, that's medical disinformation. Let's move. But, geez, you know, be a hard job. Like, you, you might, the amount of videos, maybe not a lot of them get flagged. Maybe people are, there's relatively few, you know, and people I, are. I don't think that there is, there is a lot of human interaction because uh, a few years ago, it was something like 45 years of video were uploaded to YouTube every single day. And it was like a year, less mm. than a year later, they came out with stats and they said, no, it was 63 years of video are uploaded to YouTube every day. Wow. And when you consider like the sheer amount, like there's no way that humans can. Right. Re- so I think what happens is the algorithm scans it and then it goes, you know, if it, fi- if it, if it thinks that you're saying something, like a human doesn't even review it, it's just, especially if you're a small channel, if you're a big channel and you're making them lots of money, then they'll say, oh, okay, we better have a human review this. Right. But if you're, if you're, you know, like if you're Joe Rogan, sure, they'll yeah. forward it to the humans, but I think most of it is just automated and it would have to be because there's so much content that goes up that... Yeah. I'll tell you who definitely was not censored because of a bot, Alex Jones. On one night in like 2018 or something like that, 2017, he was booted off everything simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't bot action. That was cross-company action. And, you know, they even gave statements. And that was on the basis of, remind me. (sighs) What was the specific thing? Maybe it was later than that. Oh, no, of course it was later. It was one of the fallout. It was 2020. It was January. It was the fallout of January 6th. Yeah. Because he was there. He was accused of inciting. Mm -hmm. The crowd insurrection, insurrection, overthrow so, America. Like Trump, just booted. I'll double check that when when it happened. But it, simply, that yeah. it happened overnight. So that's political decision. Yeah, it was company. No, original. excuse me, that would be company corporate decision, right. but taken in cahoots between all the big five companies. So, so is it company? Is oh, it's a private company decision, or is it a political group decision? Yeah. One, it's ideological, obviously. So yeah. at his scale, at that scale, you could see it's rank ideology. Right. When you say or think something that disfavors ideological norms as they are set from above or as the YouTube statement says, that might contradict WHO guidelines, i.e. that is medical information, just to maybe might contradict WHO guidelines, not laws, not regulations, guidelines. Right. I mean, it's so freaking open. It means... We can get you at any time for anything for just a flavor of what you might be saying. Even if you're ultra careful with your facts and your opinions, even if you're not bloody sarcastic in how you say it, just people talking about, we're we're nothing, we're small, but especially if they have a bigger uh, 
audience or potential audience. They see someone's growing. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll clamp down on them. Um, mm. You remember when the PewDiePie was just the guy who – he was the most watched channel on YouTube. And he was goofing. He was, you know, a gamer, goofing around, right? Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was for laws. Mm-hmm. But then he, he did the laws. He became more politically engaged because he found that you could actually get – he found it enjoyable to troll stuff that's going on, the current thing, you yeah. know? And you saw how the system ranged against him. Yeah. He's getting in the headlines now. He's becoming the news. Uh, the ADL issues a statement, bad, bad man. And he, Mayor Copa, does yeah. a video – where he's serious and he's, I just want to apologize for any offense I may have caused. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. he's just an idiot kid gamer. Yeah. Um, goofing around. It, the but, whole thing is ridiculous because it's, it, it's the opposite of the way human beings, human beings have lived their lives for, for, for well, forever, for all of human history. Let's say where any human being through the course of their life would expect it would be normal for any human being to experience, uh, an opinion, from another human being that they didn't agree with, didn't like, and that might even they may may even have felt was offensive, right? Um, but at least now, and that's still the case in real life human to human interaction, right? People, you know, hear things now and again anyway that they don't like, and they might get into an argument with someone else about them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not allowed on the internet by the you know as per the these rules of the of the Social media companies and stewards of the internet, Google, etc. It's not that 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 very normal part of human interactions is not allowed to happen in online interactions. Why? Why? Um, well, a lot of this is American centric. These are American companies yeah. for the most part. They uh, <clears throat> America's the seat of you know. Certainly, Western, the Western chunk of global civilization, and what goes on there uh, leads. It leads the news cycle. It leads the um, activism in, in terms of advocacy of where trends are heading towards in, at all levels for other countries in Europe. So, what what is allowed to be said there? What this, it sets ideology, you know. Um, it's uh, oh uh, uh, I found it here. Alex Jones was actually booted off in 2018 for um, don't know. It doesn't say. They just decided it overnight. Must be, I, I remember there being something. I can't remember. There was something. I don't know. There was some. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something uh, that some some particular particular event or particular um, context in which he was booted from, from all these platforms. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll, ju- I'll just answer my own, my own question in terms of what I actually think, what, what, I, what I actually think the reason um, why you're not allowed to have these kind of inter- these normal human interactions that, okay, maybe they're not, you know, they're not the most pleasant to have to hear someone be offensive or to say something offensive, but people have dealt with it, with it, you know, normal human beings just deal with it and realize that that's usually, it's usually a minority of the population a minority of any 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 demographic that that would hold those opinions, so it's not a big deal. She so just let it fly. But I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, create. I mean, this you talk about ideology, it's about creating a, an ideal society, 
uh, that's in, in their minds, that's what they're doing. They're trying to create an ideal society where uh, no speech that is quote-unquote hateful or offensive to anyone, anyone is to any particular group. I mean, they're pretty clear about this. It's not like it's some mystery. It's not like it's some, it's some Machiavellian, Orwellian kind of, you know, uh, consciously anyway, move to, to censor people, right, to stop people from saying things that they don't, that doesn't align with their, with their beliefs. Or, you know, it's not, it's not about do- power and dominance overtly, at least in the narrative. The narrative is, is to create a more peaceful, fairer, pleasant, happier, non-offensive society in which people interact and a lot of people are interacting online and then they maybe I, I suppose they hope and it does I suppose it does have an effect into the real world where people then will tone down or regulate their, their speech or their opinions they'll get to know what things are are offensive you know in, in, in real life as well so they'll stop saying those things as well uh, so you could you know you can see why, why so many people get behind it you know uh, and there is a lot of people out there who get behind it but the problem as many people have said before uh, before now, because this has been going on for quite a while, many people have said this is, is a, it's a slippery slope. It's very dangerous to start say, telling people what they can, you know, punishing people in one way or another for what they can and cannot say. Because, I mean, the, the, the limits of what you can and can't say get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and, then, and the punishments can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you're in a kind of totalitarian society. And that's the counter-narrative to this whole thing. One is, we're creating an ideal society. The other counter-narrative counter to that is, no, you're actually creating, ultimately, a totalitarian society uh, on the basis of making a perfect society. Um, and that, get, again, that's, this is all relevant to the whole Alex Jones business um, and his trial, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the go by media reports, he's, he's lost the case um, and he's been uh, ordered to, uh, by the judge, or the jury, I'm not sure, if that's part of the confusion of the case, to pay $45 million in damages mm-hmm. to the plaintiffs. Who are, who are the plaintiffs? Two parents mm-hmm. and other, others, other parents or other people? Not, not in this particular case, no. Just no, there's a second. There's another one going on in Connecticut. Right. This trial we're talking about is the one that's just concluded mm-hmm. in Texas. Um, right off the bat, that $45 million figure is fiction. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Almost certainly. Why? Because in Texas, it turns out, um, Texas law limits the amount that can be awarded in punitive damages to $750,000 per plaintiff. Yeah. Which means if you take the – there were two separate judgments. One was compensatory damages. That was the $4.1 million mm-hmm. awarded initially. Mm-hmm. And then the other 40-some to bring it to forty-five. Um, Robert Barnes, who's the, the commentator, actually he's a guest on Infowars frequently. Uh, he's also been Alex Jones's lawyer at some point, also in this trial at the beginning of it. He explained that that means that the max, it caps out at 5.5 million. Mm-hmm. So the headline's bogus. But it's gone, it's gone globally. I've seen it reported everywhere on British news, Western news, across the board. Ev- everyone knows this by now. This has flashed across the world last week, 45 mm-hmm. million damages. And you read that and you think, well, that's it. That's the end of the Alex Jones then. Right. But that can't happen. No. <laughs> so. But again, it's just, uh, that's why people have been saying it's kind of a show trial. I watched quite a bit of it, uh, as it was, not a lot of it, but a few hours of it or whatever at different times as it was going on. And they got the kind of main, the main uh, statements. And it was, I mean, I was commenting in the, 
there's a there's a there's a YouTube channel called Law and Crime Network, whatever that was broadcasting it. There were like three big cameras set up in the in the uh, in the courtroom. Um, I don't know what I don't. I wasn't able to find out what the criteria is for which court cases would be broadcast in that way and which ones wouldn't. You know, which court cases have cameras in them, <clears throat> why they have cameras in them, and why they or why others don't. Uh, public interest, maybe, uh, but again, it smacks of uh, a desire to see Alex Jones taken down and, and to have it available to the public and for the media to also report on it. Right? I mean, obviously, when you have video like that, um, you have the media can play those clips and and they have done repeatedly showing different parts of the trial and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was very strange. Uh, I was commenting on it. But, I mean, after watching it for a few hours and just listening, because it wasn't very long, you had you know various depositions, various uh, witness testimony and stuff. Alex Jones was a, was a was the only um, witness called called by the uh, by the defence, um, and then you had the, the the prosecution obviously with the, the, both parents were up there and a few other people giving testimony. Um, they also called Alex Jones's. Uh, I can't remember his name. Alex Jones's uh, sidekick, or whatever guy who hosts the uh, info on the Infowars channel. Um, he had him up. The, the Owen Schroyer. The prosecution pulled him yeah. up, and and then one of their producers and stuff. But the only one, only person, te- or only witness appearing for uh, the the defense was Alex Jones himself. Uh, all the others were all there to either be have information extracted from them in terms of people associated with Alex Jones or the actual defense, the actual plaintiffs or their people, you know, associated with them. So, uh, but it was very bi- biased. I mean, just looking at it, um, it's, I don't know enough about law to know whether a lot of rules were infringed or whatever, uh, which I don't know. I think that probably happens fairly often in court cases where uh, judges are biased in one way or another and they'll allow certain things and, and not allow other things based on their own personal prejudice, but they'll be somewhere within the ballpark of it being legal but maybe not really it's very hard to say you know because um well yeah his side says not his lawyers who actually represent them but no. barnes yeah. who used to represent <clears throat> him doesn't anymore mm. robert barnes says they broke every court proceeding going yeah that's at the level of the type of case it was a civil case mm-hmm. texas Laws specifically, and, and just every constitutional law. Right. Um, and one of them, he's, he's not allowed to respond. Right. He wasn't allowed at any point to say, um, I am innocent. Mm. No, you can be quiet now. Um, he, contrary to media reports, do you remember the whole stint? And this, this is a clip that went viral based on this live streams that went, were, were sent out, mm-hmm. where they made a show of. It appeared. I don't know. No one made a show of it. It simply appeared when you took that clip that Jones and his team failed to cooperate with Discovery and that they got him mm-hmm. in a gotcha moment with text messages. What was that about? Yeah. Well, they claimed that Jones um, had been ordered as part of the trial proceedings leading up to actually sitting in the court to turn over all messages on mm-hmm. his phone related to Sandy mm-hmm. Hook. Uh, he believed he'd done so, given it to his lawyer and so on. There, that's it. But then in the trial, they said, ah, but we have something you did not disclose. And we know you didn't disclose because you didn't actually give it to us. Your your team, they claimed, your side, your mm-hmm. lawyers, accidentally gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And here it is. And they pulled it up. Gotcha. And it's like, indeed, technically, Alex Jones 
did not fully disclose that he had sent a text message from the phone over the last two years. Mm -hmm. So not at the time of Sandy Hook, Mm -hmm. in the last two years, and it mentioned Sandy Hook in it. Mm -hmm. And in the clip, the prosecuting lawyers enjoying the gotcha moment, and Alex Jones jokes back at him and says, aha, this is your Perry Mason moment where Mm -hmm. you have just, you've caught me out here. Mm -hmm. But then the prosecuting lawyer didn't actually explain what the content of the text messages said of the specific one, this mention of Sandy Hook. Right. Oh, we only, no one did. He went on to insinuate, his next question was to Alex Jones, do you know what perjury is? Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then that was part of the clip that went viral in the media. It's Big got headline. this segment of, head, of Alex Jones being tripped up on the stand mm-hmm. with the headline, insinuating perjury, but they never pursued it. They never actually accused him of it and got a court statement, you know, they got the judge to say that is you, you are done for perjury. Mm-hmm. They just insinuated because the, the content of the text that mentioned Sandy Hook was merely something between him and Paul Joseph Watson in recent years where one or the other compared the COVID stuff that's going on in some respect, maybe the atmosphere, the media treatment of it, mm. I don't know what, to Sandy Hook. Mm. It wasn't about Sandy Hook. No. And so it was as far removed from the core claim as you could possibly right. get. The core claim is that Alex Jones said Sandy Hook was a crisis actors, that the parents, the two parents who were suing him were crisis actors, that they didn't actually have a child killed. Mm-hmm. But you're a long way now from that mm-hmm. claim, which he did make at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's just a technicality of that. They asked him to, for any text messages that he had sent over the past text number of years that, in, uh, that recorded or included a reference to Sandy Hook. And he said he didn't have any. He said he looked and he doesn't have any. And then they found one because his lawyer gave them and they found one and it was just an innocuous reference to Sandy Hook, which is hardly like, you know, uh, I mean, it's like the, the, the spirit, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law type thing. You know, it's like, yeah. If they were asking for something about Sandy Hook, something substantive about Sandy Hook rather than simply, simply something mentioning Sandy Hook. But anyway, they were out, out to get him on any... any they any waited case. it in some It was pretty ways. clear. Uh, part of the reason they came up with that large figure, they were aiming high. They were aiming to hit him for $150 million. Mm. So in the lead-up to getting to that point to try and maximize damages, they brought out a guy who's an economist, a forensic economist, hired by the plaintiffs to testify against Jones. He estimated, he didn't know, he didn't actually do a serious, like he's not in the company, he didn't mm. do an mm-hmm. audit, mm-hmm. for God's sake, of Alex Jones's Infowars and associated mm-hmm. companies. But he estimated that his personal net worth is between 70 and $140 million, mm. which is almost certainly like, it's not true. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, I don't know if this will have any consequence to appeals and, and where this finally gets decided, but Jones filed for bankruptcy mm-hmm. personally or for Infowars, I'm not sure which, in the week just before this trial started. Yeah. So what that's going to do is force, well, here, here are the books. This is actually what it's worth. And it's going to, uh, it's going to be like significantly lower mm-hmm. than the estimate. And my yeah. point is simply that they overinflated the estimate to, to aim high and to sort of, uh, Barnes suggested it, this is his suggestion, that this was sold to the jury to put in their minds, well, Let's see, if the guy is worth 70 million, well, 45 million isn't going to wipe him out. Mm-hmm. So we'll go for that. Mm-hmm. But it, 45 million would if mm-hmm. he actually had to pay it. But like you said, in Texas law, the, the, the amount, the, the upper limit of, of, uh, of, that, of 
punitive dam- uh, punitive uh, damages or you know punitive penalties uh, is something oh, no. like uh, it's something like two a hundred and anyway the total would be with the two point one two point one million they they got for the actual damages and then punitive. Uh, damages were would be pretty much the same again. So somewhere in the region of four and a half or five million total, yeah. they would have to pay. Um, so yeah, but the whole thing was yeah, like it was a bit of a show trial. It seemed to be a bit of a show trial. It had an ulter- ulterior motive. It wasn't just about finding out how much money these people deserve to get, uh, i.e., based based on their on on what harm was done to them. Uh, but rather about it became very much a lot of it was about taking down Alex Jones and the the prosecution lawyer talking about um, talking about shutting him down and him destroying America and sowing hate in America and dividing society. Destroying, yeah, it was well, a political. At one point, he said destroying society, destroying our, our great society, American society, blah blah blah, all I'll that have, kind of rhetoric. And, and I have taken him down. The key quote from his closing statement: um, Wesley Ball, his name was Alex Jones, is patient zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that yeah. smacks of COVID. Mm-hmm. He's the center of a virus working its way through us. He's patient zero for our society's inability to speak without lies. He asked the jury to take him out of this discourse, of this misinformation, of this peddling of lies, and make sure he can't do it again. So he explicitly stated whatever about the actual damage he caused from what he said back then about Sandy Hook, for which he's since apologized publicly anyway mm-hmm. and retracted, whatever about that, he's trying to make a tenuous case, that a political case, that this man is dangerous for society. Mm-hmm. Therefore, let us confiscate all of his property mm-hmm. so, so he's gone. Mm-hmm. That's probably, I should state that that's why we're talking about it on the show today because what happened to him in, I just checked and it was 2018, not 2020. What happened then was a kind of bellwether moment where it went from, uh, because of the fake news nonsense about the fallout from Trump's election in 2016, Russiagate, yada, yada, where they covertly, so to speak, for the most part, began to turn down the dial on people they didn't like and their accessibility on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. He was a bellwether because they just went, you know what, the hell with it, gloves are off, he's banned, Mm -hmm. he's gone as much as possible, we're going to try and erase him from mm-hmm. the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time, it's a bit like Trump today, the only time you see Trump is when he's at s- some kind of other setting where it's acceptable, like the CPAC events or the uh, political rallies or the yeah. media interviews. And the, the media can still choose, I mean, mm-hmm. an individual company can still choose to interview Trump. Mm-hmm. But in general, they're trying to like bleach him from the infosphere. But that's not enough. Now we're going to the next stage where it's like, how do we take this guy out short of actually killing him? Mm. Well, you confiscate all his property. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a few interesting uh, times. Just throw up that video. It's just a short one. <laughs> it's probably the most well-known one at this point uh, of uh, when he was, he was questioned by the, by the prosecution lawyer about whether or not he thought that the U.S. government was involved in uh, pedophilia and child trafficking and that kind of stuff. And he responded by saying this. Is your allegation that government officials are aiding in pedophilia, child trafficking, and the grooming of children, right? You mean like what Jeffrey Epstein did with the Clintons? (laughs) 
so he <laughs> they handed that to him on yeah, a platter okay. like <laughs> I mean the thing is that whole Epson didn't kill himself thing was a, was a, was a you know I mean it's way beyond Alex Jones you know what I mean or way beyond even the people who watch Alex Jones and stuff I mean the Epson didn't kill himself was was became absolutely became common part of the common discourse yeah. like people disbelieved it you know um, and of course there's still a lot about Epstein and stuff um uh, that hasn't most of most of the stuff about Epstein hasn't been revealed uh, specifically who were all his clients. These uh, people are, yeah. Ghislaine, Ghislaine got uh, got got put away, and, and that's the end of her. But no mention of anybody. Uh, no, no, no. She was the last opportunity for anybody to find out who the actual people who were involved in buying what Epstein and her were were selling. Of course, like we've talked about that before, and Epstein was most likely an intelligence gathering operation, probably run, you know, by U.S. slash Israeli whatever together, basically Western intelligences. It's kind of like a honeypot type thing, or in a certain sense, you know, um, you get dirt on people. Uh, it's, it's, I it's a very it's as old as it's as old as history, if you know what I mean. It's, it's so not time, controversial you know? to say that anymore. That Joe Rogan said it recently. Yeah. In summary, right, right, reference right. to the case. Yeah. And the clip of it is up on Joe Rogan's shorts on YouTube. Right, right. They're not going to ban it because, like, yeah. I mean, everyone knows. Kind people of. know. It's, it's part of spy novels, it's part of movies, it's part of James Bond movies, has been for decades and decades and decades. The idea of a honey trap, right? Intelligence is using a, a honey trap, i.e., women, for, for men, basically, you know, women who, you know, come on to men or whatever and get information out of them. Now, you know, that. You have to if you're really in that game of collecting information on on your enemies or on people you want to get information from. You can't in this day and age, or at any time maybe in human society, but particularly particularly at this day and age, you can't just leave it to uh, cis cis white males. You know what I mean? You can't you can't just focus on what they're interested in because the people you want to get inf- information from uh, don't necessarily uh, swing that way. Let's say don't play that way. They have all sorts of other predilections that you need to cater to. Uh, in order to get information out of them, so uh, you know, it's it's what I'm saying is it's not. It would be ridiculous for anyone to suggest that that is not uh, that doesn't happen, <coughs> hasn't been happening for a long time, and and to suggest also to, uh, for anybody to say that, it, well, let's say it's reasonable. I think beyond reasonable for anyone uh, to suggest that the Epstein situation had all the hallmarks. Of that kind of an operation. Well, yeah. all you have to do is look at Epstein, look at who he is, look at who he hung out with, look at the contacts he had, look at what he was doing in the in the. So, so the the surface of Epstein was was he was he's a friend and uh, confidant of the rich and famous, um, financial, you know, advice or whatever, right? But big part of his life was trafficking in underage women, at least uh, <clears throat> to who. And Why can't you put those two things together? Why can't people put those two things together? Yeah, you're not allowed to. But there's, there's silence. There's radio silence. Radio on silence. It. The media doesn't talk about it yeah. uh, in those terms. Yet it's staring you in the, in the face. And that's why when Epstein was, you know, when he quote unquote hung himself, people were like, "Yeah, he didn't hang himself. It's ridiculous." Why? Because look at what he was doing. What do you mean? Look at what he was doing. Well, Prince Andrew, Bill Gates, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, weird science, all the projects. rest of them, uh, creepy island. Uh, underage trafficking. I mean, how much more? <laughs> There's only one piece of the puzzle to put in place, but you're meant to shut up about it and say nothing. So, is this? If this is the kind of thing that is censored in the media, this is the kind of this is what the media stands for: censoring that kind of a thing or 
the media does it. Golden, I don't know who, who media gets in, gets there. Do they are they told to censor that kind of thing? Are they told to not talk about those kind of things in those terms? In some but, cases, because yeah. of where, where it goes. Uh, so if they're told, or they do it themselves, because they're all part of a big gang who are invested in preserving uh, the squeaky clean image of 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 elites and, and the rich and famous and stuff, then. Uh, I think so. I think they're there. Do you remember the NBC, uh, um, NBC uh, anchor, news anchor? She's in her studio. She's off camera. She's not airing live, but she's still being recorded. The clip came up after Epstein thing exploded in 2019. Mm. And she's sitting back in a chair going, yep, I had the whole story years ago, mm. ready to go and upstairs and yeah. next it. They next it, yeah. yeah. So these are the people that are – this is what they're – they're shutting down on. They're, they're claiming they, they sh- this is what they shut down. The kind of story that they shut down, uh, which is pretty important, you'd think for most people, and at least in the Western world or whoever or, or whoever it's relevant to, you'd think that it's a, it's a kind of important story to know, or important event to know that a lot of the people, or whoever they are on that list, Epstein's li- list of clients, who are these people, and are these people that we're. Uh, we should know who these people are because maybe these are the people that we're listening to for other advice. These are people we're seeing on television uh, or on the internet at night handing down orders about what we should do uh, very often on a moral basis. And These are people, people telling us in March 2020 that this thing is going to last two years until everyone on the planet is vaccinated. Yeah. So if, if that's the kind of people we, we need to know, I'm not saying I don't know who they are, but we need, you, should, you should find out. That's important information for people to get. But the media clamps down on it and uh, and governments etc so these are the same kind of people who are now telling us and like we're no we're not necessarily we're not fans of Alex Jones by any stretch of the imagination but these are the kind of people who have who want to shut up people like Alex Jones while hiding their own dirty secrets I mean at the very least at the very at the very least there's they have they have they're no position to point the finger because at the very least they're Complete, their deliberate lack of transparency on important issues or potentially important issues uh, for you know for society and for for for, for the public to to know about, but you're not allowed to know about them. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, it's it, and that's why we're talking about it basically because these people who whatever you think of Alex Jones, the people who are accusing Alex Jones and who are glorifying in the kind of taking down of Alex Jones and the trashing of Alex Jones and the death of Infowars, whatever, etc. These people are in no position. To, to take that moral high ground. Uh, and that's just, Epstein is just one example of the kind of things that they have covered up over the years. So, yeah. Robert Barnes, uh, who is an ally and friend and part sometime law, actual legal defense mm-hmm. for Alex Jones, mm-hmm. um, he's actually he's a very level headed guy. He's, he's very different to Jones in so many ways. But he said, speaking about this case, in passing, that what strikes him is that it. It's absurd to him that, but what it told him was that the other side, so to speak, um, seems to really believe that if they can make an example of Alex Jones, Mm -hmm. it'll deter others. And that's part of it. And the other part is that that disinformation really does come through key nodal points if you're looking at all of society mapped infographically. Mm -hmm. And if you can take out these strategically... You can win or at least live, survive another day before, you know, it's all lost. Mm. But he said that the absurdity of this is that things like Epstein are such common knowledge. Mm. 
you're completely wasting your, your time. Just, yeah, yeah. But, but it, it speaks to what goes on in their head that that's how they see it. The uh, horse is long since If, if we just stop Russia interfering in our elections. Hmm. Okay, let's investigate. They investigate. Russia spent 400,000. Russia, a company in Russia spent 400,000 on ads compared to 40 billion in marketing for each side in mm-hmm. the U.S. elections. Mm-hmm. Like it's a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. But, if, but they'll convince themselves that this one little input is what's causing the whole thing to shift away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, do they yeah. believe it? I think, I think yeah. Well, how can they, but they're so detached from reality then yeah. because uh, that horse has long since bolted. I mean, people who are open... And you can even say this was not something you could really ever change. People who are open to the, the, the idea that governments are not on the level very often, that they often tell lies, they often tell egregious lies, big lies uh, about various different things. People who are open to that idea, uh, are, you could arguably say that they were always open to that idea as a part of their, their nature. Um, but certainly, if they're adults now and they're open to those ideas and they, they, you know, they accept the possibility that conspiracies actually exist, i.e. People, people getting together in private and, you know, plotting to do something that they want to keep secret. That's a conspiracy. Strange how that's, that's very simple. <laughs> very simple idea has become like a, a, a something that... Uh, taboo. Well, not, not just taboo, but something that is almost like ridiculous to even well, suggest that it would ever, ever happen. The answer is in your definition of it. Something they want to keep in secret. Yeah, of course. So, but if they're talking about it, it's not a secret. Right. So exactly. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's a uh, lost train of thought there. What was I saying? Can't remember. Um, Can you put this up? This is an example of the headlines in the last ten days in American media about Jones and his trial. Like, um, AP, the vaunted Associated Press. They, they cite some detective who was involved in the investigating the Sandy, uh, Sandy Hook case, but they get him to say, Alex Jones, most dangerous type of attack denier. Attack denier. What? Mm. Attack denier. Hmm. Um, like, you know, you deny cl- climate change, change denier. Deny vaccine uh, efficiency you denier. deny election results. Deny, deny, deny. All these people, who are these people denying us, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 they make it black and white, like you're yeah, one well, or the problem. other. Like Sandy Hook is a classic example. Like there are actually are, there's a ton of ideas, but none of them, none of the other main ones, main counter ideas to what actually happened there, are talked about at all. The only reason Alex Jones, Alex Jones, he's a victim of his own naivety, bombastic, bullheadedness, stubbornness, mm. because he fell for something at the time which we warned about our very first podcasts but they weren't podcasts then that we were just doing blog talk radio but our very first uh, audio radio shows were actually on sandy hook mm. and it, it was blowing us away not so much covering the event and trying to you know piece together stuff uh, expose some unanswered questions about mm-hmm. sandy hook mm-hmm. but it was the first time we noticed this actress thing mm-hmm. was dominating the counter narrative about it mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell's going on here, you know? Yeah. Um, and we warned column, this you know? kind of thing is going to get people in serious trouble because, like, that's egregious. Mm. You're saying that those people's kids didn't exist, that they're acting. You're in serious fucking hot water here. Mm. And uh, that has indeed been the case. Alex Jones, I have some sympathy for him because he retracted it. 
I said, I don't want anything to do with this anymore after like a couple of years yeah. of maybe mentioning it. Yeah. So that was long gone. It's been, you know, about eight years since he apologized and retracted and so on. But that was not enough because they still have you on the hook. Mm-hmm. You're the guy who's on record now as having said something extremely crazy. Yeah, and think, it is extremely crazy. You think there'd be statute of limitations as well on, on defamation, no? That is brought up by Barnes on one of the things they're going to have to, they're going to be able to come back with on appeal. Like the statute of limitations on... Uh, they they broke every possible rule slash law slash norm, yeah. and that's going to one of the things that he can appeal. Hmm. Uh, he let slip uh, during another question and answer with those political prosecutors because they were like it was political the whole thing. They <clears throat> he didn't let slip. Maybe Jones deliberately s- slipped this in there that the origin for his idea for why he started to talk at all. Uh, in the aftermath of Sandy Hook, about crisis actors, it was Steve Steve Pijenik. Does he ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve Pijenik, this guy is central to QAnon mm. that comes later. And you name you name the most crazy version of a counter narrative to anything that's happened in the last ten years. He's in the center of it. Um, his Wikipedia page says he was in government. He was in the U.S. State Department in like the 70s, maybe a staffer. Mm-hmm. And then the 80s, he claims U.S. intelligence. But then he left and discussed. And then he pops up and he's all over like he's the source for Alex Jones, his mm. buddies. He's going on the show. He's giving this QAnon version of, no, no, the White Hats are going to win. Follow the plan. He, that guy, whoever he is for real, I don't even know if, it's, if he's actually shown his face yet, but he's been on a ton of alternative shows around the time Trump got elected. Yeah. Um, he's a bit, he reminds me of that guy who was a bit more public. The, who was the, who was the guy who was saying crazy stuff around the 2020 election? Oh, I forget his name. White haired guy, ex Georgia. Oh yeah, yeah. Prosecutor or lawyer. Yeah. Um, can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, him and re- what he called her, the lawyer woman who's going to... Release the Kraken. Yeah, release the Kraken, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Alex Jones probably is not but, finished, but they seem to be content to tell the world that he is finished, even mm-hmm. though, like, he's not. Prima facie, he's not. Um, is, uh, but yeah, he's not finished. And, I mean, more than likely, I mean, he's, I think he said this himself, but... Uh, uh, this is going to increase his audience, increase his... Yeah. Well, certainly it's the whole idea of uh, no, no publicity is bad publicity, so uh, he's got a lot of publicity out of this, you know. Uh, the most they can do is try and hit him for hit him financially. But, you know, if they hit him for whatever they, they get out of him, if he makes that back again because of the increase, you know, uh, in, in readership and in people buying his products and all that kind of stuff... Yeah, yeah sa- sales of Instahard are going to go through the <laughs> yeah, roof. Yeah, Instahard, whatever that is. <laughs> Uh, he's he's. Uh, they thought they'd embarrass him by referring to that in yeah. the trial. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a screenshot of his recent show and banner headline, a banner ad at the top. Insta hard. Right. Yeah, that's one of your products. Yeah, yeah, it is. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, they, don't, yeah, they didn't realize that he doesn't care, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But like again, we said it's uh, these people seem to be a bit detached from reality. If they think that this that is going to have any effect on, I don't know. It's hard to tell how many people are actually 
of of a of like mind with Alex Jones or who I mean I think half the jury had never heard of him. Um they claimed seventy five million people had been turned on to uh Sandy Hook uh, uh, uh conspiracy theories by Alex Jones personally, which is probably nonsense because you know they just don't realise how much it was all just allegation after allegation after allegation and an attempt to maximise the amount of damages they would get. And the lawyers are obviously heavily invest in that because they're probably getting a cut, they're probably getting a percentage or you know, commission-based uh, pay on, on how much the, the, they get for the defence, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a joke and it exposes just how to, often how kind of corrupt and disgusting the whole legal system is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, how, how very far from, from justice oh, uh, yeah. it, it actually for is. For anyone. So, yeah. for, neither for Jones nor yeah. for those parents. Yeah. It's, it's those parents, if it ever crossed their mind... Namely, who exactly hmm. did Sandy Hook? They don't deny that it happened. Their child is dead. Of right. course they don't deny it happened. Right. Uh, I'm not suggesting that, you know, probably most of them never even go there. It's just too traumatic in their minds, you know, what happened to them. Certainly you saw that in the, in the general population. Mm-hmm. They just accept, okay, it was that guy, fine. But it, I don't know, maybe the least we say about it, the better. But it's so, it's, it's a mind... F well, from just, start to finish. Yeah, Sandy just, Hook is in the headlines in a way we thought we'd never see mm-hmm. 10 years after the fact. But it's nothing to do with the question that counts, mm-hmm. namely who was the guy caught in the woods and released later? Who? Yeah, but well, we had, the, we had um, confirmation from no less than the US State Department a few months ago that uh, quote-unquote false flag operations are a thing. At least during war, where you would, in, in their own words, in the, in the words of the, the U.S. State Department, uh, a person, uh, in order to achieve a political uh, objective, would either kill people or make it or, look or that, stage or stage the killing of people with crisis actors with with actors and that kind of stuff. Uh, in order to achieve a political objective, he, they said that that's in, the, in that context. He's talking about the the war in the, or the situation in Ukraine and accusing Russia of plan, planning to do this. So, at the very least, it's it's something that, at least from the State Department's point of view, is a reality. It is in the minds of certain people on this planet. Some people with influence, with power on this planet, according to the State Department, have not only thought about, but you know, have the ability and have even implemented these kind of operations where you pretend you create a situation where, where people have been killed uh, when they actually haven't, or you actually kill people, uh, you know, that, that are maybe your own in a certain sense. You kill your own people or kill, not your own people, let's say civilians. You would kill some civilians in order to blame Russia. So the Ukrainian government, or sorry, the, the, Russian, the Russian troops, the Russian military command or whatever Russian government, Putin himself, of course, would sanction the killing of civilians in... in um, in Donbass or somewhere in Ukraine, in order to pin blame on the Ukrainian military to make them look bad. Uh, if the State Department says it, and it happens out there, it's fine. If the Justice Department says it, says you're saying about anything at home, you are shamed into oblivion, you know, excommunicated from society. Not, it's not reasonable at all. You should at the very least be... You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't write it off from the very beginning as if it doesn't exist. It's the same as the idea of... of, of the tarnishing of the, that ridiculous term conspiracy theory being tantamount to 
uh, a mental illness. Well, like, well, a conspiracy theory is something that doesn't exist. Anybody who believes in conspiracy theories, I mean, and they usually they throw that term around you know, in those in that way, you know, in the, in, in, with those words. Anyone who believes in conspiracy theories is is an idiot, is stupid, is crazy. Um, but what's a conspiracy theory? What, what do you mean when you say conspiracy theories? Then the, the term has been used so often that, they, that it no longer has a definition, apparently. I, it's hard for me to think of or, or, or remember at any time hearing from these people who would, who would dismiss conspiracy, conspiracy theories. It's hard for me to remember anybody actually defining what they are. What's a conspiracy theory? Give me an example of a conspiracy theory. Not, not, of course, not, not things that they claim are... Uh, you know, it, it's kind of circular logic in a certain sense. It's not things that they say are obviously proven to have been false, that people believe this and then they're proved to be false, but a more general term, conspiracy theory, because obviously new ones can come up before they've been proven false. So give me an example of some of those. Give me, give me an example of what you mean by conspiracy theory, kind of a situation that you know is always going to be false, is always going to be crazy, a crazy idea that doesn't exist. You know, give me, mm-hmm. give me the definition. Tell me, tell me what a conspiracy theory is. Uh, when it's so obvious and so easy for the person uh, dismissing conspiracy, conspiracy theories to show that that would never happen. That scenario could never happen. It's impossible for it to happen. Because that seems to be what a conspiracy theory is. It's a certain set of, uh, a, certain set of uh, uh, a certain situation, a certain series of events, a certain claimed series of events that, that never is, happens that in can reality. never ever possibly happen. Yeah. Uh, so flesh it out for me. Tell me what the, the scenario is. Are you saying, what is it like? Governments would, for example, uh, kill their own people, kill their own civilians uh, uh, in order to blame an enemy, in order to achieve some political goal, let's <coughs> say in general. Is that, would that never, ever, ever happen? Well, I mean, it happens in Russia and Ukraine. So w- what you're really saying is it doesn't happen in America. Or it doesn't happen in the West. You know right, what I mean? So, right. so it's like I, I've never heard anybody actually flesh out, people who use the term so often never actually flesh it out and explain what exactly they mean when they, uh, by that term that they're dismissing out of hand. Yeah. Um, well, Cass, Cass Sunstein, of course, wrote entire treatises on conspiracy theories. Would you get him to commit to a specific definition? No, he probably keeps it flexible. Mm. So that he can apply it selectively, him and his wife. What's her name? Power. Um, Paul. He's married to Samantha Power. Power, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's it's not a big deal, but it was quite funny. The the, the trial was quite funny. The trial with Alex Jones was quite funny. Um, one other aspect of it that was weird was that they they had a bunch of jurors selected. And any jurors that did not were asked a question, they were all asked a question initially when they selected the first batch of jurors. And they were asked if they would be willing to give, uh, um, knowing the basics of what the trial was about, if they would be willing to give damages of over $100 million. And the ones who said no, they were kicked off. (laughs) And they got ones in that would... Yeah, Barnes said that the jury selection process was was faulty as well. They can counter on on that count too. 
it was it was funny to watch it. It was just like the way and the judge obviously antagonistic towards him, and you know because it was all like you're evil, you're bad, you're wrong. Everybody knows it. It's not in question. You're an evil, despicable person. What you said was demonstrably false. Uh, but so, but it should have been just left that what you said was demonstrably false. Yeah, and therefore you're going to get some uh, financial penalty as a result of that. But there was a whole aura of you're an evil person. It was broadened out to you're the evil, you're the scourge, you're a boil on the on the body, the public body public of of America. You're you're the you know. Did it seem to you that they uh, they got their decision early on what they wanted? They mm-hmm. could have left it there. That, but did it strike you that they were continuing? basically to put him to, to the question unnecessarily from a, from a legal point of view because they were trying to get him to, to confess, to, to admit that he's always been wrong, that his whole way of living is wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They that, wanted that, him to yeah. say, I fold, I yield, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. This was, this was, the lawyers were pretty clear in terms of their attitude and the judge seemed to support it, which was that uh, it wasn't just about Sandy Hook, it was about everything. Everything, everything Alex Jones says, every angle, every, his whole entire view of the world and of the way the world works and the way power works and uh, it was all despicable and it was tearing this country apart and we need to get rid of people like him and stop them from ever saying these things ever again. Which, again, it's detached from reality because there's an awful lot of people out there who, they're not as, like you said, they're not bullhorns, they're not kind of like as... Uh, as agitated or excitable as Alex Jones, and they're not as active as Alex Jones, but they you know, quietly will hold their own opinion about the world and how it works, and particularly America and the state of America today and stuff. So, uh, what you're gonna, how are you gonna stop those people? You can stop them speaking, but you can't stop them thinking. Yeah, you know. Anyway, um, what else? What else? Where's Joe Biden? I haven't seen him in ages. What? He's got the COVID, hasn't he? No, he's recovered from the COVID. Did you hear... Um, it's been weeks. I know. I think it's been three weeks. Three since weeks since he had any public appearance. His Twitter account is super active, but obviously that's not him right. writing coherently on Twitter. But, yeah. Three weeks since he fell off his bike. I'm starting to miss him. Uh, I'm, I'm, his pearls of wisdom. Yeah. What do you call him? Um, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Um, you may have noticed during the week. Uh, He's the guy who died like ten years ago. You'll know his face because <laughs> you'll know his face because uh, it was all he was. Him and Osama bin Laden were him and bin Laden were BFF. You know, best friends forever. They were always always appear. The most iconic pictures of, of yeah. bin Laden and him were, were the two. Whereas a pair, two of them together. Was he the guy with the dent in his forehead? Maybe, and he looked like the Mister Magoo and a turban. Yeah, yeah, Mister Magoo. Mister yeah. Magoo. I he, actually yeah. called him Mister Magoo. He yeah. was killed years ago, wasn't he? Well, yeah. There's been lots of reports again, but this week, anyway, according to Biden, from his sick bed, uh, single-handedly uh, took him out. Finally, um, that's where I saw Biden. He was. He gave a statement. He was in. He was in Afghanistan, taking out Azar uh, <laughs> Wahiri. Um, so again, it's like weird that this comes up now. It's like a little, it, it's like a props to Biden or something. Biden still can do stuff. Yay, we, we're fighting the war on terror or something. Anyway, so they supposedly talking about in Afghanistan. He's you know since the US uh, dropped and uh, ran from Afghanistan last last July, last August. Uh, apparently, supposedly Al Qaeda, according to Americans anyway, Al Qaeda has been you know buddying up with the Taliban, so the Americans, who obviously maintain some kind of a presence or an ability to act, of course, in Afghanistan, probably from Pakistan primarily, uh, were 
kill him with a drone or something like that. Uh, just stick up that screenshot there, Scotty, uh, just to give you a... Not that you... Right, that's why I thought he was dead. That's in there, yeah. So it was in uh, 2020 uh, reports. And this is just the most recent one from 2020 when he was reportedly killed. There are others going back over the years, as there was with Osama bin Laden as well. He was dead multiple times. And then also Al-Zarqui was another guy in in Iraq who was killed. Oh, that's what I'm thinking Reportedly killed multiple times. No, this guy. I thought they said this this guy had been droned before. This this guy, yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, dies from asthma, yeah, in Afghanistan, Afghan, yeah. Um, but I think he was, there were reports that he was dead before. But again, the whole thing's such a joke, you know, it's all clouded in secrecy and intelligence and running, uh, of course, everybody remembers where Al-Qaeda came from. And if I was being cynical, I'd say this was like, the reason this comes out of the blue, there's no apparent strategic issue for the US right now in Afghanistan mm. that required a drone strike uh-huh. to take him out to save, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it's props. It's just cynical, isn't it? Well, it's just props it's kind of, It works so well for Bush and it works so well for Obama that the people behind Biden are thinking, well, let's do a, we took out Al-Qaeda chief. Yeah. Let's see if, see if poll, you know, poll ratings go up. Yeah. But it's like, it, these people will just play the same records over and over, but the conversations moved on. Like, Americans aren't, they don't get excited about that anymore. I think it's, right. it's worn off. It's officially fair to say, for everyone, Democrats too, it's inflation. It's, it's inflation. It's this was back in the good old days. Uh, remember this? You'll, you'll have fond memories of this, Neil. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh yeah, uh, USA. Super low. How clueless do you have to be? Wow, they very kids. young people. I know, but it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, come yeah. on. Like, that was uh, 2008. We, we, uh, supposedly Osama bin Laden. No, 2011. 2011. They, got, they right. supposedly got him in 2011, even though he was apparently dead in 2003 or even before it. But, um, yeah, it's they're all pretty young and stuff. But, uh, but there are people out in the streets. And, that's and an age ago well. now. Yeah. Nowadays, the kids are all like, burn it all down. Burn it all <laughs> oh, down. <yeah. laughs> Yeah, yeah. At least then, you know, they were invested in keeping yeah. the country yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it all it all plays into you know lies, feet. It all leads to nihilism and self destruction in the end. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, it's not good to be patriotic on the basis of imperialistic, hubristic bullshit and fictional scenarios like assassinating your so called enemies. Um, what else? Happened? I got a statement from the Taliban here. It says yeah. Please don't do any more drone strikes. And by the way, we don't even know if Mr. McGrew was in the building. They said there's no evidence, yeah. They don't have any evidence that, uh, of course, who knows. But uh, again, that guy, like he was probably in his 60s when he was hanging out with Bin Laden in in those pictures you have of them together, which was like, you know, pre, in the late 90s maybe. Uh, So he must have been in his 80s now. 
um, or close to his 80s. So <laughs> they whip it up over, you know, you know, taking out some geriatric, assuming that that's what actually happened, they're whooping it up over taking out some geriatric who, who had no influence or no involvement whatsoever. You right. know? So it's just, it's just so The, galling, the regime's you know? whooping it up, but like, the contrast is that the kids weren't on the street whooping it up this mm. time mm-hmm. because people just don't care anywhere no, well, as much as... No, he's obviously not. Bin Laden, was, yeah. Bin Laden was the main man. Like, that was just a sidekick, you know. And there are a lot of things to worry about these days, like the n- lack of inflation and... Uh, um, and the uh, red wave. Which I comes. No, the domestic one. Yeah. The red wave. Yeah, the conservative what, backlash yeah. in the US of A. What do you think? Um, major wins for yeah. Trump, Trump-like, trump Trump-supported candidates in mm-hmm. its early days. It's only the primaries. They still have to contest in what one would presume will be free and fair elections. But who the hell knows these days in the post-truth world? Um, let's have a look at this one. NBC reporting on... This is just primaries in two states. There are more to come. Wyoming's coming up. Liz Cheney is almost certainly out on her rear end uh, next week in Wyoming's. Um, Arizona and Michigan had them last week. And uh, I think it's in this report Scotty's going to show us. I think it says, (laughs) look at the headline, the 800-pound gorilla, Trump boosts endorsement record with Arizona and Michigan wins. It's, this blew me away. Subheadline: Since leaving office last year, since leaving office, since being oosted, um, 188 candidates backed by the former president have won primaries. 14 have lost and two dropped out or were disqualified. That's that's 188 out of 202. Yeah. I mean, the I don't know what the overall trend is in the last two years, but the entire GOP is going to be Trump-aligned or Trumpist, or whatever, pro-Trump. It's going to be see the Republican Party in the way that Trump did, uh-huh. at this rate. If not this, by this election, by the next one. Uh-huh. That is a phenomenal... Yeah. This is the guy who's been booted off radio silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a clean sweep, almost. It's a 93, 94% success rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that just shows you, I mean, booted off social media, tarnished in the media. These people obviously don't represent a large percentage of the American population at all. They're actually antagonistic uh, towards a large percent of the American population. And what are they going to do? I mean, again, it gets back to what we were talking about before. What are, they going to do? what are they going to do to those people? What are they going to do to change those people's way of thinking that they don't like? When you don't like, uh, uh, like 50% of the American population's way of thinking, a very entrenched way of thinking, and you think it's, it's horrible, it's racist, it's abominable, what are you going to do about it? How you go, it's just a long process of re-education, or, or that was mooted. Do you remember you, they we, talked about that deprogramming Trump supporters? Yeah, but when you try to do that, I mean, well, maybe Trump, a few Trump supporters or something like that. But when you try to do that, if you do it, you do it by manipulation or force. Uh, it's just there's no way to do it because no. you can only try and do it by manipulation or force, and that just entrenches those people in their positions. Or well, terror is another tactic. Yeah. Uh, another headline is a write-up on the specific result in Arizona for the. Uh, Republican nominee for governor, Uh CNN. I thought this is an interesting connection with what we just saw about Alex Jones being portrayed by AP as a, quote, attack denier. Carrie Lake, she has since won, wins GOP nomination for Arizona governor. 
becoming fourth election denier. <laughs> election denier. Yeah. To secure major nomination <laughs> in the state. The other one I want to mention is Blake Masters. Blake Masters is like, he, his political campaign ad was began like this, psychopaths rule our country. Yeah. We need to do something about these psychopaths. I can't believe they're actually like, that's, 15 years ago we talked about it's political psychopathy and it's actually in the freaking discourse and it's winning elections or close to it in Arizona. So he's one of the other four. Arizona is about to flip not just red. It's about to flip like ultra bright blood red for Trump. This is the same state, by the way, that officially voted for, for Biden. Biden two years ago. You're an election denier. I'm an election like denier. Uh, yes, and Blake Masters will take John McCain's seat. Mm-hmm. What a turnaround in the last 10 years. Turning in his grave. Oh, uh, we have to play this. Oh, God. Dick Cheney. So, mm. like I mentioned, Wyoming's coming up next week. So Liz Cheney's uh, U.S. Congress seat is up for grabs, almost certainly, because the Trump wing of the GOP is putting up a serious challenge. Um, I forget her name. It's another f- woman. Uh, no! So Don't he's still it. alive. We no. wondered a couple of weeks ago. He's, where's Dick Cheney? He's still alive. This is, him without his, this is him sans Darth Vader mask. There must be no one within a mile of him. Um, so this is the entirety of our campaign ad somebody, for her re-election. Somebody, somebody put, him out of, put him out of our misery. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go and hunt some uh, human beings in these woods behind me. (laughs) So uh, I'll get back to you later. Uh, Yeah, guys. Frickin Donald he, Trump is evil the, most personified. the most dangerous threat to our country ever in its yeah. history. In yeah. its history. Someone should is that hyperbole? Or, you know what it got me thinking? When they made those crazy inflated statements about Alex Jones that I said Robert Barnes commented on, the absurdity of going after him as a point man for a movement, believing that if you take him down, mm-hmm. thankfully the movement will at least be suppressed for now. Mm-hmm. They don't even have that. With Trump, it's the same thing. I think those headlines, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, massively overestimate Trump's influence. Mm-hmm. He did have an impact, and that has started a ball rolling in a the ship of state turning in this other direction. But these people coming up behind him, so to speak, mm-hmm. running for Arizona governor, for Arizona senator, for Wyoming senator, listen to them. I forget some of their names, but Carrie Lake, she's like articulate. Mm-hmm. This isn't Trump. Trump-like speech and doing you know, pa- crazy impressions of people. You know, it's not this Sarah is, Palin. No, these people are articulate, intelligent, but that's but and, and smart. Of course, but measured, they're using they're like using, DeSantis and Florida. They're using this supposed, um, you know, distasteful image of Trump. 
to tarnish them, tarnish these other people to associate them with Trump, basically, because it's you know Trump's orange man bad is a gift that should keep on giving, as far as these people are concerned. It just you know everybody, all non-lefty Democrat types will forever, uh, forever more be associated with Trump. You will be Trump. You're a Trumpist. If you're not a Democrat, you're a Trumpist. Basically, it's you know typical smear tactics of, of of one political party against the other. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah. But they're going to find out, I think. Assuming there are free and fair elections, uh, they're going to find out. When is it? November? The midterms? Midterms will be like yeah. usual November, yeah. yeah. So, where Trump did actually surface in the public spotlight this week was, um, again, unofficially, but they had to report on it. Victor Orban is the current Prime Minister of Hungary, right? He's in his third term. He flies to the United States to be Trump's guest, meets him in Mar-a-Lago, Trump's house in Florida, meeting photos go up, a statement about the meeting, blah, blah, blah. Maybe even what they touched on, I can't remember. Then he's Trump's guest at the CPAC, the political, the conservative PAC uh, meeting in Texas, where Orban goes and gives a speech. I tried to find out if there's any more to it than that, but I believe that's it. Victor Orban, the acting official Prime Minister of Hungary, head of state, made a visit to the United States, did not have any official meeting with anyone from the actual regime. Mm-hmm. He only went to Trump land. Yeah. That's, I think that's the first. I don't know of any kind of... I'm surprised they allowed it. I'm surprised that pressure wasn't brought to bear, so to speak, behind the scenes on Orban not to do that. So maybe it got an okay, a green light at some level. Um, I did read that Orban was specifically, um, he he was slated to go to Washington, D.C. for some democracy convention that uh-huh. Biden was chairing last year or in his first year in office. But Orban was spurned. He was told, you're not invited. So there's maybe personal political reasons for why that happened. Check out, check out the Guardian's headline on him there, on, on that event. <laughs> Victor Orban turns Texas conference into transatlantic far right love in. And well, I suppose that's fair enough. And check except out for the far right part. The leader of your, and check out this one from the from um, the CNN's. It's, it's an opinion, of course, but it, it asks a kind of what appears to me to be a rhetorical question, or not? It, it poses a a question, I suppose. Uh, why conservatives give a big welcome to leader who suppressed Hungary's democracy? Well, I don't need to read any further than that. I know why conservatives, conservatives suppress democracy. Okay, I got it. What, what do you mean, why? What? He's going to write a long article to explain what's in the headline? Because <laughs> they're conservatives and they hate democracy. Obviously. Because they're, they're an authoritarian dictator, dictator-loving, uh, racist um, homophobes. Anyway. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happened this week that we didn't actually talk about because uh, it was this week and not before last week was uh, the red tide washing over China, washing over Taiwan. That hadn't happened, had it? No, we did a show because Pelosi had taken off. Right. We guessed she probably wasn't going to go to Taiwan because it was not scheduled at the time. She Her press statements mentioned nothing about Taiwan. But we said in any event, no, the point was we made was it's not going to trigger World War Three. Yeah. Um, it didn't, but it triggered. A, well, it didn't trigger them. There were. It, it's weird when you see the within a couple of days, large scale 
Chinese uh, military exercises, basically blockading Taiwan all the way around Taiwan, and Navy, Sea, uh, Navy, Air, yeah, and um, yeah, drills basically, obviously simulating blocking, blockading, well, doing who knows what, but doing something around Taiwan, um, something pretty uh, very aggressive. As one of the Chaikoms are uh, able to do. Um, they're surrounding Taiwan. It's like, no, they're not surrounding Taiwan because actually uh, Roger Waters, the uh, Pink Floyd, is he Pink Floyd? Pink Floyd, yeah. Roger Waters, Pink Floyd. He had a, he talked to a guy, speaking of CNN, he talked to a guy from CNN. CNN made the mistake, I, I suppose, of, of having some guy ask him a few questions about, because he's, he's quite political, you know, and at his concerts and stuff, he, he's been putting up. He's one of the, he's like a, an old school lefty. lefty yeah. Anti-war. Where he was very anti-Trump. Anti-imperialism. And, uh, yeah. And, but anti-Trump, you know, hated Trump. And, Did and, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At his concerts, he put up, you know, nasty pictures of Trump and all that kind of stuff. But he, he continues on. So he's, he's those kind of people who can't really, they're, it's fine, but they can't really separate wheat from chaff. But it's okay because they're just like diehard Anti-war, basically. So no matter who That's it is, okay. they're not. They don't have. They won't flip, uh, flip flop, depending on who's waging the war, type thing. Which is the height of idiocy, obviously. Um, this is him in uh, talking to CNN uh, just a few days ago, I think. Um, the last tour, of course, I came and watched very much. You know about Trump. And in the current show, you've got a montage of war criminals, according to you, and a picture apparently of President Biden on the screen, and it says, just getting started. What's Mm. that all about? President Joe Biden? Yeah. Well, he's fueling the fire in the Ukraine for a start. That is a huge crime. Why won't the United States of America uh, encourage Zelensky, the president, to negotiate obviating the need for this horrific, horrendous war but you're, that's you're, killing. You're blaming, how, we don't know how many Ukrainians But you're blaming the party Russians. that got invaded. Come on, you've got it reversed. Well, no, I, well that's, that you, you know, any war, when did it start? What you need to do is look at the history and you can say, well, it started on this day. You could say it started in 2008. Okay, it's basic. this war is basically about the action and reaction of NATO pushing right up to the Russian border, which they promised they wouldn't do when Gorbachev negotiated the withdrawal of the USSR from the whole of Eastern Europe. When you say this, then I have to say, what about our role as liberators? You of all people... You have no role as liberators. Oh, that's a big part of it, actually. Uh, That's so American. Yeah, yeah. He... um, well, actually, there's another uh, snippet from years ago, more than 20 years ago, that, uh, that actually speaks to that a little bit. But uh, he also said, uh, the guy said to him about Taiwan, asked him about Taiwan and China, and he said, uh, he said, uh, China is, you know, the CNN guy said China is currently uh, 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 surrounding surrounding Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And Water says, uh, Taiwan's a part of China. <gasps> You, yeah, the U.S. government agrees that Taiwan is a part of China. How do you surround a part of your own country? Right. Uh, but there's, um, yeah, I don't know if I'll stick it up. There's, you remember Michael, Mike Rupert? Peak yeah, oil 9-11. And then peak oil. Peak oil. Yeah. Fail. Um, did you ever read the Grand Chessboard? 
By his... Brzezinski? Brzezinski, no. Uh, Snippets, enough. Yeah, well, it's basically like a PNAC document. It's, it's like the PNAC... Um, yeah. The PNAC... He had a paper that he then expanded into a book. Rebuilding America's Defenses, Strategy Forces. That's where they talk about New Pearl Harbor. Mm. That, that basically... the. That, you know, America's going to have to, to in, in order to maintain itself as global hegemon, it's going to have to project its power out around the world in order to maintain that hegemon- hegemony against its near-peer competitors, China and Russia. And uh, and we won't be able to do that unless we have a new, uh, like a galvanizing event that, to get public, uh, to get everybody behind it, like a new Pearl Harbor. Uh, but this was this is just a little bit I thought it was interesting because it reminded me of a bunch of stuff from the, the, from, from the Grand Chessboard. Uh, Mike Rupert uh, talking about um, just some key points in, in Brzezinski's book and it, you can see that there's nothing to choose between it and, and PNAC and the neoconservatives and mm-hmm. the Bush administration and the war on terror and what it was all for. Just play it there. If you want to get really, 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 really angry, go buy this book. It's called The Grand Chessboard. American Primacy and its Geostrategic Objectives. Written by Zbigniew Brzezinski in 1997. I'm going to read you some quotes from that book. Page XII, it's the very first words in the book. The last decades of the 20th century has witnessed a tectonic shift in world affairs. For the first time ever, a non-Eurasian power has emerged not only as a key arbiter of Eurasian power relations, but also as the world's paramount power. The defeat and collapse of the Soviet Union was the final step in the rapid ascendance of a Western Hemisphere power, the United States, as the sole and indeed the first truly global superpower. Page XII, it's in the preface. But in the meantime, he says, it is imperative that no Eurasian challenger Eurasia's everything in between roughly east of Germany all the way to the Pacific Ocean, south through the Indian subcontinent, and includes the Middle East. It's imperative that no Eurasian challenger, by that he means Russia or China, emerges capable of dominating Eurasia and thus of also challenging America. The formulation of a comprehensive and integrated Eurasian geostrategy is therefore the purpose of this book, Geostrategy, Eurasia. The attitude of the American public toward the external projection of American power has been much more ambivalent. The public supported America's engagement in World War II largely because of the shock effect of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So, I mean, that's this is in the Grand Chessboard written in 1987, mm-hmm. and P- the PNAC documents were written around the same time. Same so, obviously, time. The, the, they were all talking to each yeah. other, basically, and had the same same attitude. Just throw it back up there, uh, just to see the text. Um, he basically spells out there that the American public, their attitude towards uh, America waging wars, basically sent in the military right around the world to on, on for, for for conquest or whatever, was ambivalent. Uh, and then he makes a reference to. But, you know, remember Pearl Harbor? That got a lot of support for war. Got us into the Second World War. It was pretty good. Um, so After FDR was elected. Right. And, of course... Saying he would not. Right. Vote. And, of course, uh, the PNAC documents, neoconservatives, Wolfowitz, Pearl, Cheney, Rumsfeld, those guys, all were of the, the, the same opinion that American, the American public in particular needed a galvanizing event like a new Pearl Harbor in order to get the, this new American century where America is the 
absolute global hegemon to get it started and to get it secured. And they really needed a new galvanizing event uh, in the late 90s. And everyone remembers what happened in 2001. Anyway, carry on. It gets worse. For America, the chief geopolitical prize is Eurasia. Now a non-Eurasian power, that's us, is preeminent in Eurasia and America's global primacy, isn't that arrogant? America's global primacy is directly dependent on how long and how effectively its preponderance on the Eurasian continent is sustained. Think about that for a minute. What he's saying yeah, yeah, yeah. is, is that if the U- uh, think about that. I just want to say, think about that in terms of Ukraine and what's uh, what what has led up to what caused the situation in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. America's global primacy is directly dependent on how long and how effectively its preponderance on the Eurasian continent is sustained. Uh, well, I.e. you have to stop any other power on the Eurasian continent from having any significant influence over the Eurasian continent. Does this series of quotes, is there more to this? Is, is, does it include the one where Brzezinski specifically says if Russia, quote, has, paraphrasing, has Ukraine, mm-hmm. It's an empire, and then we've lost Eurasia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't, then we win. Right. That's why he he I specifically boiled it down to that equation. Yeah, and and, and we and, dominate the world if Russia does not have Ukraine. Well, we yeah, vice we, versa. Well, a major part of their dominance in Eurasia was that obviously China is a major influence, a major okay. th- uh, problem to deal with as well. Go ahead. To stay top dog, we have to control Eurasia. America's withdrawal from the world withdrawal from the world or because of the sudden emergence of a successful rival would produce massive international stability it would prompt global anarchy you know what he's saying there yeah a little global anarchy would probably be a damn good thing right now um, what he's saying there is if we don't control the world by whatever means necessary the world's going to be miserable He didn't ask my opinion. Did he ask yours? Okay. In that context, how how America manages Eurasia, do we manage people around the world? Is that our job? Is critical. Eurasia is the globe's largest continent and is geopolitically axial. A power that dominates Eurasia would control two of the world's three most advanced and economically productive regions. A mere glance at the map also suggests that control over Eurasia would almost automatically entail Africa's subordination, (laughs) rendering the Western Hemisphere and Oceania, that's Australia, for all of you non-academics, geopolitically peripheral to the world's central continent. About 75% of the world's people live in Eurasia, and most of the world's physical wealth is there as well, both in its enterprises and underneath its soil. Eurasia accounts for 60% of the world's GNP and three-fourths of the world's three-fourths of the world's known energy resources. Two basic steps are thus required. First, to identify the geostrategically dynamic Eurasian states that have the power to cause a potentially important shift in the international distribution of power and to decipher the central external goals of their respective political elites and the likely consequences of their seeking to attain them. Second, to formulate specific U.S. policies to offset, co-opt, and or control the above. 
two basic steps required for America. Uh, identify the geostrategically dynamic Eurasian states, <laughs> i.e., uh, that have the power to, co- to cause a potentially important shift in the international distribution of power, i.e. China and Russia, and to decipher the central external goals of their respective political allies and the likely consequences of their seeking to attain them. All oh, it's couched in academic terms, but it's basically saying, yeah, uh, any, anybody, you know, do a, a, a close analysis of the major powers in Eurasia, which ones are on our side, which ones are not, which ones uh, should be on our side, which ones we can subdue, which ones we can't, what can we do to subdue them, what can't we do to subdue them, and push ahead because this is existential. If we don't do this, we're not going to be the global hegemon anymore. Existential in the sense of existentially, uh, you know, necessary for the political elite to remain on top of the pile. Not, uh, not an existential, not, not like a threat to the lives of, of Americans per se, mm. not, uh, not that there's anybody who would attack America, not that, any, not that America would be destroyed or whatever. It simply would no, no longer be top dog. It may most likely just have to share the table uh, and you know, rule the world with other powers, let's say. Um, but no, that's not acceptable. We emerged from... Uh, the, the the 20th century, but towards the end of the 20th century, we, America, emerged as the sole dominant superpower in the world, and we have to do something right now to make sure that we maintain that status one way or another and make sure that any other power does not get to the position of a rival. Uh, and again, by any means necessary. And people have questions about, people still don't understand Ukraine, don't understand what's happening in Ukraine, don't understand what the wars in the Middle East, don't understand it in its proper context and don't understand it clearly why it happened. That all was completely unnecessary, essentially completely unnecessary. It was pure, they were all purely, all the wars since, and this is being generous, since uh, the beginning of the 21st century, uh, that have been waged by America, and America really is the only one who has waged them, any wars since then in the past 22 years, they have all been purely wars of conquest, unnecessary in the sense that they were wars of conquest, not for any vital strategic, um, what's that term that, term they use? Interest. Strategic interests. Yeah. Our interests. Well, interest. They, again, we're interested in uh, lording it over everybody else on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure you are. Yeah. To formulate specific U.S. policies to offset, co-opt, and or control yeah, exactly. these rising powers in Eurasia. Offset, They co-opt, are our control. interests. What will it take? Would that involve setting off a border skirmish that you don't mind turning into a war? Well, we know from Brzezinski's own mouth when he gloated around the same time frame in the 1990s to a French magazine that, yes, I, Zbigniew Brzezinski, as national security advisor to Jimmy Carter in 1979, recommended the sending of shit tons of weapons to the Mujahideen, along with Saudi Arabia's agreement, lots of fighters from the Middle East into Arabs, uh, into Afghanistan, to you know cause a problem and draw in the Soviet Union. And then the, the reporter says to him, "But you know, isn't that like? Don't you worry about the consequences of your actions?" And he goes, Psh, "What's a few stirred up Muslims?" I, and compared to freedom, yeah. Freedom for America. Well, in compared to what he wouldn't articulate, is in compared to yeah. American losing its place. You know, it's primacy, baby. It's right. it's whatever it takes. Um, 
the that thing you know attributed to Karl Rove, we're an empire now. Others said it too. Krauthammer explained how we are an empire. We, we, Rupert was talking, I presume, early two thousands. There, yeah, it looked like it's a bit old. So he was probably just coming into geopolitics and just getting his head around the scale of it. So you can see his energy and enthusiasm for communicating it, but still, it's taken... It's probably working now, but it's taken another 20 years for people to really appreciate that the USA really is today's Rome. Hmm. That's the best kind of analogous thing, except that it's global. Mm -hmm. And think of all the things that, that, that carries with it. When Victoria Newland in 2014 is U, her formal title is U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, and specifically her brief is only um, Europe and Eurasian Affairs, something like that, Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe. That sounds bland, and well, if you don't know what those terms mean, you know, whatever. But what was she doing? She was in the background, able to put in place a new government in a fomenting a coup with $5 billion, according to her, of U.S. Um, aid money to replace the government of the largest country by territory in Europe, if you put Ukraine in Europe, just like that. She is a Roman-esque consul. Yeah. consul. That is where someone <clears throat> has been basically they've been the equivalent of the prime minister or the president for a year at home. The Romans... Consuls were then awarded with a governorship in one of the colonies or what they would call, I suppose, provinces if they were fully incorporated into the empire. Mm -hmm. And they get to go abroad for a year, and it was perfectly understood that they ruled the roost over there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were kind of – it's a mix of being like she was. She was working from Washington back home with mm -hmm. her title mm -hmm. in the bureaucracy, and it's a mix of also being an ambassador. And mm -hmm. it's a mix of also being the CIA Station mm -hmm. agent chief mm -hmm. in the region. It's a bit of all three. Mm -hmm. Whatever. These are all Romanesque positions where they don't give a flying cahoot what the people in that country say, what the people in that country vote. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll, do what they'll they go they do. in and they'll decide mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Gonna happen. Yep. In the interest of the empire, yeah. Just funny you should mention Rome. C carry on there. The man is talking about co-opting, controlling, managing subverting nations and peoples and economies. To put it in a terminology that harkens back to the more brutal age of ancient empires, the three grand imperatives of imperial, listen to this, of imperial geostrategy are to prevent collusion and maintain security dependence among the vassals, to keep tributaries pliant and protected, and to keep the barbarians from coming together. That's on page 40. I'm telling you, you got to buy the book. Now we get really serious. On page 95, Uzbekistan, with its much more ethnically homogeneous population of approximately 25 million and its leaders emphasizing the country's historic glories, has become increasingly assertive in affirming the region's new post-colonial status. He, see, he saw the first step in this as diminishing the ability of Russia to reassert the dream of the Soviet Union. All the stands in Central Asia were once part of the Soviet Union. The borders were drawn arbitrarily by Lenin and Stalin. And he saw one of the most important steps was to prevent Russia from asserting any control in the region, which we did. You know how we did it? Over the last decade, thanks to Goldman Sachs, the Harvard Endowment, the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve, the World Bank, we looted $300 billion out of the Russian economy. 
$300 billion. I was there. The Russian population was, what, 160, 64 million at the fall of the Soviet Union. The population of Russia is today 145 million. By, in, in another 10 years, it will be 130 million. The average life expectancy of a male in Russia has dropped to 48 years. Thanks to the economic devastation, the ruin we visited on their economy, it was a deliberate plan to weaken Russia so that it couldn't challenge our move into Eurasia a decade later. <coughs> Global disorder could come to dominate the world scene, and the possibility of such a fragmentation is inherent in the geopolitical tensions not only of today's Eurasia, but of the world more generally. The most immediate task is to make certain that no state or combination of states gains the capacity to, to expel the United States from Eurasia, or even, to or even to diminish significantly its decisive arbitration role. In the long run, global politics are bound to become increasingly uncongenial to the concentration of hege hegemonic power in the hands of a single state. Hence, America is not only the first as well as the only truly global superpower, but is also likely to be the very last. Okay. And what does he well, say that that's going to happen? What? He says that the United That was accurate. Yeah, but they, it also shows that they knew. Yeah. In the long run, global, dom global politics are bound to become increasingly uncongenial to the concentration of hegemonic power in the hands of a single state, i.e. they knew that yes. what they were doing was going to cause other countries to be, like countries who uh, had a rightful place at the top table in the global order, i.e. Like, let's say Russia yeah. and China at least, uh, they were not going to be happy with America's, uh, uh, you know, heavy-handed domination and um, and he also almost like he says because of America uh, pushing this agenda of maintaining their hegemonic power uh, uh, to the exclusion of all others that it would ultimately mean the destru destruction of either America or the globe because what does he mean by it's ultimately likely to be the very last mm. yeah is it the very last because that's it's going, we, to, it's going to rain forever? Or, or with what he said beforehand, is it, you know, it's going to be uncongenial, so what are you going to do about that uncongeniality? Are you going to have a war to stop it? Are you going to, how are you going to get them to be congenial? You're basically, he's basically saying that they're not, they're, these other, other peer competitors are never going to be happy with America's role because he knows how America asserts its role and maintains its role, which is through, uh, through coercion and dirty tricks and manipulation and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, and we'll just hold on to it until it all falls apart. So, yeah. Um, Fascinating. So that's probably early, that's probably around the year 2000. Yeah. What he didn't know, of course, was Putin, speaking yeah. is that Russia's completely recovered since then. Population's yeah. back to 140-some million. Life expectancies back to normal Western average, etc. Um, yeah, and there was Did an audience for it, but yeah. Got drowned out in all Not the anymore. BS of the last twenty years. The war on terror came along. Yeah. Um, the first the first blunt force trauma instrument to shut up, don't shut up. Now, of course, there happened to be more direct. There's just sense of people. Mm -hmm. um, confiscate you, their property. <clears throat> did you know that the most of most of the fact checking organizations uh, that Facebook uses for fact checking about Ukraine are all directly funded by Washington D.C. Does that surprise you? No. Why are you not surprised about that? 
Because uh, just stick it up the Atlantic Council bloody does the fact-checking for Facebook. Exactly. I mean, hello. Uh, second paragraph. In light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, an information war is bitter as the ground fighting has erupted. And Meta, i.e. Facebook, announced it had partnered with nine organizations to help it sort fact from fiction for Ukrainian, Russian, and other Eastern European users. These nine organizations are Stop Fake, Vox Check, Fact Check Georgia, Demagogue, <laughs> Myth Detector, Lead Stories, Patirinta, 15 Minutes, Read Baltic and Diffy. Anyway, uh, the problem with all this, fourth paragraph, at least five of the nine organizations are directly in the pay of the United States government, a major belligerent in the conflict. We and decide what reality is. All the rest of you are deniers. And is, but here, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a comment there, a major belligerent in the conflict. But America is not a major belligerent in the conflict, are they? Well, according to Ukraine, according to the Telegraph, according to Ukraine, the U.S. is directly involved in the Ukraine war, Russia claims. Sorry. That's actually in response to another article in the Telegraph. Yeah, the Ukrainian general. Yeah. So according to a Ukrainian general... So this is the first one, really. Um, Britain helps Ukraine hunt for Russian spies. No, the other one, Scott. Yeah, that one. Eyeing Western military aid. Destroying military aid flowing into Ukraine from the West is goal number one for Russian agents, according to the Ukraine military. Britain is helping Ukraine hunt spies targeting Western-supplied weapons. Sorry, is that Britain just? Wasn't, wasn't this one about the US? <coughs> when is this from? I think it's, of August. it's the same. Anyway, um, I think the Telegraph homed in on the British role, but the article does have the general say it's both British and American intelligence. <clears throat> so he, the idiot, I don't know, maybe, maybe well, he's not an idiot because the Telegraph <laughs> was happy to, to post his claims. He yeah. claimed that... Uh, down below that picture, yeah. It's in the... Speaking exclusively of the Telegraph from Kiev's heavily fortified government, blah, blah, blah. General Bitsky said tracking down the Russian spies, blah, 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 for the supply lines was impossible without the help from Britain and other international partners. As far as military intelligence is concerned, Britain and the US have provided almost everything from information to equipment. He gave no specific details of the support Britain is providing, but said the assistance was minute-to-minute, real-time information of all kinds. Um, And then high margin and stuff. So basically, the story is that America, as we knew, I mean, it's just confirmation. And that other article I just put up is that, uh, is Russia responding to it, or that you just had up a minute before Russia is responding to to that that general statements, uh, saying that... um, the U.S. Is, dire- is directly involved in the war by providing Kiev with real-time information that allowed it to launch assaults on Russian targets using U.S.-supplied rocket launch systems. Um, so, yeah, America is a belligerent directly involved. It's using the Ukraine. Ukraine it's, it's, the, it's the hand in the Ukrainian glove, effectively. Or, um, so the U.S. Is, and Britain are at war with Russia. The absolutely. only question is at what point or if... The Russians say, okay, the gloves are off. You just said the gloves are off, so here's my fist. Yeah. What will that constitute? Direct attacks on the homeland? Probably not. Probably not. Um, What would stop them? Surely nothing less than that, though. 
But uh, yeah, as we've explained before, of course, you're heading into actual World War Three nuclear apocalypse scenario there, yeah, which is off the table because that's the end. But and are there any steps between here and there? You know, are there steps that can be taken? Not really. No. Well, who ever thought that uh, this would be a war between this, what we're seeing in Ukraine is a war between the West and the West and Russia? You know, I know it's hot enough <laughs> as it is, <clears throat> but I mean, you know, that's how it would happen that they would that they would get along well enough to have a proxy war, basically, you know. Uh, talking about America's involvement in Ukraine, uh, this shouldn't surprise you either. Um, military aid to Ukraine doesn't always get to the front lines. Like 30% of it reaches its final destination. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, interesting. I saw that report on s- somewhere else as well. This um, is from a, a Lithuania-based organization I called... Um, it's in the third paragraph below the picture. All ten of this ten stu- weeks ago, that was conspiracy theory. Yeah. All now, of this, now they talk about All it. of this stuff goes across the border, and then something happens. <laughs> kind of like 30% of it reaches its final destination, said Jonas Oman, founder and CEO of Blue Yellow, a Lithuanian-based organization that has been meeting with and supplying frontline units with military aid in Ukraine since the start of the conflict, so he knows what he's talking about. 30%... 30 to 40 percent, that's my estimation, he said in April. Where do you think it's going? It's probably been sold in the black market. But would it be more specifically targeted than that, just, you know, the chancing of where it ends up on the market? My hunch is it's going to uh, neighboring countries in anticipation of a potential expansion of the war where Russia is now directly getting fired at and counter-striking. Slovakia, Poland, Lithuania, etc. They're stealing it. Well, they're, they're dispersing it more intelligently. Ukraine Among is a cloak themselves. for so much else. It's obviously a cloak for corruption yeah. contracts. For Ukraine, you know, like this week, another 550 million to Ukraine. Yeah, well, it's not going to Ukraine. It's going to American companies, backhanders in Washington, etc. Mm. It's graft. Well, it for, so as far as the, the military, concerned. hard tech, you know, hard yeah, weapons end of it. It's probably similar. The American government doesn't care. The Pentagon doesn't care where it goes. Though, once it's once it's sold, uh, once it's you know the order comes in, then it's all good, you know, because they're not obviously not getting paid for it. Really, right? This is all free. In one, one sense or another, it gets back to the whole you know maintain maintenance of empire and ma- maintaining the vassal states uh, by you know helping out their security. It's all it's all for maintaining he- hegemony, maintain, maintaining imperial hegemony. In, on the Eurasian continent, so there's no no limit to the amount of money that can be spent, and by the amount of money, by money in that in that sense, I mean American taxpayers' money. So defense contractors don't get paid for all this. That's, there's one billion dollars going from the U.S. the U.S. government to uh, Ukraine, a new one tranche of one billion worth of, of weapons going to Ukraine, and they're not getting paid for it. There's no money coming from Ukraine. There's no money coming from Poland. There's no money coming from Germany or anywhere, or Lithuania or anywhere for that for those weapons. It's all coming directly from the taxpayers to the defense contractors. Yes, eventually the taxpayer pays, but it's actually just being printed. It's just being typed up. It's, yeah. just, it's just printing. It's just U.S. going into further debt that it knows it can't pay off. Yeah. It's, it's reaching well, it's the Brzezinski ten, scenario. It's the, the end is approaching. They know there's no way out for them debt-wise, so they just go all in. It's tentatively, tentatively linked to American tax, tax returns, though. The American economy, at least, still tentatively linked to it, you know. Uh, so, it, I mean, there's still yeah. there's still a reason to say that that's American taxpayers' dollars yeah. that are going to defense contractors. Yeah. Okay, they're employing people, but is the cost benefit 
analysis? Does it work out, you know? Well, uh, no, their wages are wiped out because the direct consequence of sending Ukraine all this money is... Inflation. Because Russia. So inflation is basically the result. Excuse you mean, me, you're right then. In a roundabout, yes, in a roundabout way, the inflation is the direct tax on the American payer now, right. today, yeah. yeah, for the war. It's Putin's inflation, though. Of course, it's then projected onto Putin. Putin did it. Yeah, uh, it's pretty hot around the world. Well, not really around the world. It's hot in different places. Cold in Antarctica. Um, cold in the Southern Hemisphere. It's hot in the Northern Hemisphere. Hot. That's another statement. Is this the hottest summer ever in France? Ever, ever. In Western Europe? It's pretty hot, though. It's pretty, well, the main, the main problem is, uh, is lack of rainfall. I mean, that go, tends to go with hot weather, uh-huh. you know what I mean? You don't have, in the summertime anyway, if, it's, if there's no rain, it means it's been hot, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's causing a lot of problems for um, crops, for crop growth and farms. Uh, mm, there's one here. It's happening in the U.S. as well. Extreme drought and inflationary pressures are forcing U.S. farmers in western states to sell off their cattle herds in greater numbers at levels not seen in over a decade. Uh, same's happening in Europe and Portugal. Livestock producers reducing herds due to spiraling cost of feed. So it's a food bar. It's like a, a cluster F, you know, of all sorts of different things. And it's weird, though, that it's, uh, it's all conspiring. It's almost like there's a conspiracy for something for, to create a food bar. You know, to create to, to to fuck things up in a big way all at once. Right. Uh, I don't know who's organising this conspiracy. Uh, I don't think it's any any particular person, but it just starts to things are looking worse and worse, basically, in that respect. You know, uh, it's all clustering together. Yeah. I don't know how long. Well, we live in a closed system. In the end, it's it's you know, there are limited resources. This is the planet's only so big. Um, things feed back into it. And, you know, they've got their supercomputers and they probably gamed this out years, ago. decades ago. Um, so it's coming to a head. It's coming to a head they knew it would come to, maybe not in detail. Um, and they, of course, don't explain properly to people. They give them they give them this version where it's easy to attain people's acquiescence to not spook them too much, where it's global mm. warming, and it's okay because you can do something about mm. it if you just consume less, live sustainably, blah, blah, blah. Or it's Putin's war. Do your bit. You know, have a cold shower. Say, take that, Putin. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. yeah. and, but that's only going to last so long. Like, how stupid do you have to be to do that? Like, I mean, does that even work? We were asking that earlier on about like, how detached these people are from reality with Alex Jones and stuff, thinking they can wipe out people's opinions on things and or cancel people's mm. opinions, entire section of the population, their opinions, uh, and they can get people to, to take a cold shower and think they're, they're flipping the bird to Putin? Do, do, those, do people like that exist? I mean, yeah, I know people... Do. There, there are people... Uh, there can't be very many, though. One or two in every country. How many... <laughs> I just... It blows my mind that people... I don't... Because even normal people that I know, normies, right? Uh, people that I know, they're not that stupid. I'm talking... I've never met a person as stupid as that. I would like to meet one one day. I'd like to meet a person who actually believes that take a cold shower and that means you're sticking one to Putin and feel good about it. And pe- people would actually take that on board. Yeah, take that Putin. Really? But that's what the message they put out in the media. So it suggests that there are people, at least the media believes there are people who would actually take up that message and run with it. As long as the media messaging is as powerful as it is, yes. I I'd think love so. to meet one. If, if, anybody, if any people like that are, are, are watching the show, just... You know, contact me and I'll have a chat with you. Just, just start 
pure pure interest. Um, yeah, whatever. That's a, that's been a lot of highbrow geopolitics we covered in the last half hour. Yeah, sometimes it's a bit much for me. So I like to go to CNN and Nancy Pelosi mm. for understanding geopolitics. Can you can you play? Nancy Pelosi had a pearl of wisdom when she was in Taiwan last week. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is in Taiwan, yeah. When I was a little girl, I was told at the beach. Oh, it's very low. Deep enough, we would reach China. So we've always felt a con- connection there. <laughs> so she said she always felt a good connection to China because she was when she was a little when she was a little for the children. For the Chinese children. She was a little girl. Her parents told her if she kept digging a hole at a beach, she'd eventually reach China. So ever since then, she really felt a deep connection with China. <clears throat> I love it. It's, it's geopolitics. Yeah. Explained to Thanks, Nancy. people, you know. Good God. What is the world coming to like? Oh, my God. I don't know what to say to that stuff. That's just like... But, uh, you know, while she was away, her husband... Have no words. What scandal yeah. last week? Someone leaked um, Paul Paul Pelosi files or court proceedings to Fox News about her husband. Mm. He was involved in a DUI and a drunk driving incident yeah. in May. Crashing in another car, yeah. Or crashing at a fence post or something? Did he? They hit another car. Hit somebody else, yeah. Another yeah. car, and uh, he was absolutely plastered. But that wasn't reported at the time. It was just a minor accident. He'd left some like highbrow party in, in California. I don't know if Nancy was there, but... Like an Epstein party or something. <clears throat> um, Never yeah. know. Eyes wide shut. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. But, yeah, it's... It's, it's just so many layers of absurdity. Like, Nancy Pelosi is the American representative. For starters, that, that's just... She didn't decide to stir up a plan geopolitically she, with China. She probably she no, of course she, not. She should. She's just a, a gopher, like you know. But she really should have said there was something like you know. When, I've always felt a strong connection to China um, because when I was a little girl, I used to get two clothespins and put them on my eyes and make them into kind of like Chinese eyes. And ever since then, I always felt really strongly towards the Chinese people. <laughs> Why didn't she go ahead and say that? Say that. <laughs> you fucking freaking old <laughs> idiot! Like. I mean, that's the hardest part is having to put up with the monumental bullshit from these people directly and then repeated or spun by the media. And we have to look at it and go, oh, this is serious. We should take this seriously. These people aren't freaking clown shoes and just talking absolute bollocks that provably, you know, nonsensical and easily provable, easily debunkable. But we have to take it. We're meant to sit there and go, well, what's happening in the news today? Oh, is that what's happening? Oh, yeah. No, it's not actually happening that way because it's almost entirely utter horseshit. The only thing that's true in the media these days is reports on, you know, environmental stuff or st- stuff that's going on. I'm not saying the cause of it, but actually what's happening. Yeah. Know, lightning hitting the White House and stuff like that. You know, right, that lightning hitting weird, in, in Cuba, I think, lightning hitting a, a fuel de- depot in Cuba. Was and Cuba, setting it, blowing Cuba. it up. Yeah, basically, yeah. And, um, and then drought. And then the flooding in, flooding. Well, in contrast with the drought, the flooding in Kentucky. Right. Killed uh, 37 people last Yeah, week. exactly. Uh, that kind of environmental stuff is the only stuff you can actually rely on. The rest is just pure, utter, spin, spun bullshit, you know. 
But uh, I suppose that's what, uh, just in the off chance that there are some people who don't actually understand that and still get a bit confused by the bullshit that they are subjected to every day, at least at the, in the political uh, sphere. Uh, that's why we're kind of here. We just kind of like are here to uh, wipe away as much of that bullshit as possible and expose the <laughs> the rest of the bullshit beneath it because uh, it's multi-layered bullshit. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's what we're here for and we'll keep doing it for as long as we're allowed to by the powers that be. Um, so we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, thanks for our chatters, listeners and whoever else, whatever else you were doing. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. So until then, have a good one. See ya. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.